Good morning, everyone. It's nice to see you. Some of you, it's your first time back. Hi, I'm your new pastor. <laughs> no, 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 it's okay. No, no, it's okay. It's okay. Glad to be with you. It's always exciting to see new faces, and some of your faces have been here for a long time but are just venturing out. And I hope you feel welcome. Um, as I said in the video that we passed around this, uh, passed around this last week, uh, we are here to make everyone feel comfortable. We want to honor those who are a little bit nervous about coming into large groups. So I'm wearing my mask when I'm tra traveling through the foyer and around the building, but sitting down, I'm, I'm going to take it off to sing and to worship together. But let's just treat everyone with respect and honor, and uh, let's be unified, one heart and one mind, with one Lord and one Savior, one Christ, one Spirit, one God, one another is what it's all about as a church family. Uh, I, I'm sorry, last week I did not acknowledge all of our educators that are here in our midst. I'd like to just say a quick prayer for you, if that's okay. If you're teaching, if you're an educational assistant, if you're working in the school system, would you mind just standing real quickly? Can we see all the different people that are, we're entrusting our children to week by week? Well, you can still stand. You can still stand. I'm, I'm just going to pray for you. Father God, these are blessed people. You've given them uh, responsibilities over our kids, and uh, you've, you, you see them as examples, as models of, of yourself in these classrooms. They are Christ to a lot of the kids that may never have met Jesus themselves personally, never been in the church, but they see your servants week after week, day after day, and loving them, caring for them, praying for them. Empower them, Father. Give them the grace they need when the when the kids are challenging and difficult, give them the mercy to, to see through the behaviors, to see the heart of a, a child that needs to be loved and touched from, by your spirit. And Father God, may these uh, represent us well, represent you well in the community. Uh, let us um, uh, encourage them, pray for them, and support them all we can throughout the week. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you all. So how many of you are Formula One fans? Well, I see you. I see that hand. So I've recently been introduced to the world of Formula One racing, mostly because my mother-in-law is a fan. I didn't know that till recently. So my wife says, we should, we should watch some of the races. And so I go, okay, we'll watch some races. So now I'm introduced to Hamilton and Verstappen and Ricardo and Leclerc and Vettel. All these drivers, and uh, I don't know, for Mercedes, for, for all these different companies that are out there, and it's, it's a whole new world for me. Well, I read this week about a fan, uh, Mark L. He doesn't want to be identified by his last name, but he's, he and his son are from Liverpool, England, and they traveled all the way to the Netherlands to see the, uh, the Dutch Grand Prix Formula One. It was a you know, trip of a lifetime. The, the races were coming up, and they were out for dinner, one evening, and all of a sudden, the police swarmed in, broke through the, the door, surrounded their table, guns were drawn, pointing at Mark and his son. They blindfolded him, they arrested him, and they took him to a maximum security prison. They had a European arrest warrant from the Italian authorities, and uh, the nightmare began <laughs> for Mark. Well. As he sat in the prison, trying to find a lawyer to help him out, he just wanted to see a race, and now he's in maximum security prison. Well, it turns out 
that the, the Dutch authorities had mistaken Mark for a Sicilian crime lord, Matteo Messina de Naro, wanted for 50 murders, who had been in hiding for the last 13 years because of bombings he had done where 13 people were injured and 10 were killed. And he's in prison. They think he's this Matteo guy. Uh, after a brief... Well, just describe this Matteo guy. He's called the Capo di Tutti Capi, the boss of all bosses of the Sicilian Mafia. He is the most wanted mafioso in all of Italy and throughout Europe. And, and, he, and Mark L. is now in prison. And the, the authorities think, we've got our guy. Finally, we've arrested him. He's been in hiding for so many years. But with a, a brief interview, they realized they got the wrong guy. And the... Uh, the um, head of the, the Dutch public prosecutor, he says this, um, uh, Mark L. is a normal Formula One fan. It would have been a genius of an Italian to have such a strong Liverpool accent. <laughs> uh, Mark L. refused to be um, interviewed after this story. <laughs> what an embarrassment. And a common person a misidentified as a very uncommon person. Well, as believers, the opposite is often true. We are seen as common people, when the truth is we are very much uncommon people. We're beginning a new series this week that will take us up to Advent, and it's called Uncommon. So, we are an uncommon people, and that's what I'm going to talk about today. We serve an uncommon God. We study an uncommon book. We have an uncommon calling. We have an uncommon message. What I mean is, when you're in the world, every, just about every major part of the Christian life is absurd. It is weird. We are considered different. But I think of the word uncommon as better. Can you turn to the person next to you and say, you are most uncommon? Go ahead, ready? Yeah, don't, don't use the word weird, don't, just most uncommon. And uncommon means not ordinary. The Apostle Peter says it like this in 1 Peter 2.5, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In verse uh, uh, 9, this is a key verse, but you are... Say it with me, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. That's uncommon. You're chosen. You are royal. You are called. You have become something that you weren't before. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And I like verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles in this world to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. And keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So in verse 11, Peter uses these two words, sojourner and exile. Yes, I'm going to be a little academic for a second. This word sojourner is per oikos. Now, have you been to the grocery store, to the um, yogurt section? 
Yes, there is a, an Oikos yogurt. It's very tasty, actually. I'm not doing a promo, no. Send me my contract. Uh, Oikos is like the family unit. It's talking about a home. It's talking about your, your immediate property. The oikos is another word like for house, but it means the, the core central unit in the Greek city-state or the society. Oikos was the basic unit of the family. When it says para-oikos, it means just outside of the family, just alongside, but not really one of. You are, you are next to the families, next to the oikos. We're beside they use this word exile also, this, um, another word for foreigner, or exile, this, uh, the Greek word is um, per epidemos, which means uh, epidemos is making yourself at home, just being comfortable. And when it puts that word per in front of it, it means not quite. You're just, you're kind of aside, you're kind of around, but you're not, you're not to get comfortable. And let me just share a, a few other words that this these two words have been translated, but so all the different translations of this verse, they use, here's the words they use. So sojourner, someone who's going through. They're, they're on their way somewhere, sojourner, traveler. We, um, stranger, someone not from here, unknown. And just, uh, these words are describing us. Alien. A Canadian, my father uh, lived in the United States for many years, and he had an resident alien card he had to carry around with him. I knew there was something odd about him, but uh, <laughs> it just meant that he didn't belong. He was a Canadian living in an American world. Pilgrim, uh, someone traveling on a journey to a holy place, someone passing through a temporary resident, a foreigner, an immigrant, an outsider, a visitor. All of these words are used to try and to help explain what, what Peter is saying. And the last one he uses in, uh, translated as refugee. That we don't belong here. We're, we're on, a, on, a, on a journey. It says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 9 and following, by faith Abraham went to live in the land of promise in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Therefore, from one man... And him as good as dead, because Abraham was already over 80 years old, were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable, innumerable gain, grains of sand by the seashore. And it says in verse 13, all of these, these people that we just talked about, they died in their faith, not having received the things promised. They didn't get to the promised land. They didn't get to, to grab a hold of the promises that God had given him. Abraham passed away with one kid, and he was supposed to have innumerable children to, to, to populate the world, to become people of, of God. And it says they all died in faith, not receiving the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. Like the, it was a vision that God had given them. It was a, a goal and a destination. Like the people in Egypt, when they were slaves, I've got a promised land for you. We're headed out into the wilderness. We're going to get to that promised land. It says that they all died in the faith, but they were strangers and exiles on earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. And verse 15 says, if they'd been thinking of the land from which they had come out, they would have just gone back to return it. But, but as it is, verse 16, they desired a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared of them a city. We are uncommon people. I have to say, we don't belong here. 
There's a place, you know, there is a promised land for us that we're headed to. God has put a promised land in place for his people, and he will gather us together one day to bring us all together where we can be with him in peace for eternity. The message translates this verse 11 saying, friends, this world is not your home, so don't make yourselves cozy in it. We should always be a bit unsettled. We should go to parties and, and feel a little uncomfortable. We should go to a place in the workplace and the people are demanding that we cut the ethics or, or cut on the, immor- the, the morality of business practices that we just say, you know, I, it's not me. Like, I can't go there. I, you, you can't ask that of me. I don't fit in that kind of morality or that kind of ethical change. So, can you say to your neighbor, you are chosen, royal, and holy? Chosen, royal, and holy. Really? Ready? Chosen, royal, and holy. The challenge is going to be whether or not you believe that. I mean, this is an academic thing when we read the Scripture, but it's a lifestyle thing when we put it into practice. So are we, are we uncommon or set apart from the ordinary because we are loved? No, because everybody's God so loved what? The world. Everybody's loved in this world by God. He loved them so much he sent his son Jesus Christ to die on a cross for them. If they believe in him, they could have eternal life and not have to perish. Well, are we, are we uncommon because we're blessed? No, again, everyone in this world gets to wake up with the sunshine. They get to have the spring showers. They get to see the beauty of God's creation. They're, they also get to have blessings. But there are some things that are uncommon that the world doesn't have access to. First of all, number one, I have eight things here. I'm sure there's more, but I just stopped at eight because we have to you know, get out here eventually. Number one, what makes us uncommon and sets us apart from non-believers, we are forgiven. We've been forgiven of our sins. We've been forgiven of the misdeeds of all of the things that have separated us from God. Ephesians 1.7 says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. People without Christ have to live with their sin. They're still chained. They're still in bondage to the habits, to the, to the things, that the, the insecurities. The, all the stuff they have in the past is just keep weighing them down. They, there's nowhere for it to go because they don't know Jesus. They haven't released all of that into Christ's hands and he, he hasn't told them, you're forgiven. I will no longer hold any of that against you. And once that happens, we have instant access to all that God is. Our sin no longer separates us, doesn't come between us. The gulf has been covered over by the cross of Christ. Second thing that, separ- that, that, that uh, makes us uncommon is that we were adopted by God. He came in and said, you're mine. <laughs> I've chosen you. I've called you a, a, a nation, a priesthood, a people peculiar to me. You're, I'm your dad. I'm your heavenly father. When you become a child of God, you become a member of a divine family. Think about this. It's more than aristocratic. It's more than part of a dynasty. It's more than royalty. You know, the status of God's children supersedes every other status here on earth. That makes us uncommon. Third, we were once dead, but now we are alive. When Christ comes into us, we are born again. It's the, that's what we picture in our baptistry, right? We're, we're dying. 
We're being dropped into a grave, and we rise to a new life that God has created a new creature. This is what we're symbolizing. Dead to an old way, alive to Christ, we're not common anymore. Colossians 3, 2 says, Set your minds now on the things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says it this way, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a, a new creation. You are transformed. You are not you. You are new. I like that. You are not you. You are new in Christ. You can quote me on that. <laughs> the old things have passed away and everything has become new. So why do we keep plugging along like nothing has changed? Why do we let the world get us down when we know we are, we are chosen, we are new, we have a heavenly Father, we're forgiven, we're free to experience the life Christ wants us to have. Number four, our allegiance has changed. Once we were allied with the world and now our allegiance has changed towards heaven. Romans 6.6 6 says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin. We're not slaves to sin. We're servants of God. We are no longer slaves to sin, but we are God's servants. And we get to live a life with his power, with his presence, and that takes me to number five, we are possessed in a good way. <laughs> Some I wonder about, but for the most part, Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ, and this is what was re referenced here in the baptistry. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. He's taken up residence. That makes us uncommon. He, he's going to be with the life, it says, the life I now live in my body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus himself said in John 14.16, and I will pray to the Father, and he will give you another comforter so that he may be with you forever. And he says this, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he dwells in you and will be with you. We're possessed of God. Jesus says, me and my Father, we're gonna make a home in you. That's uncommon. We've got God living inside of us. We've got his spirit presence with us all the time. You're never alone. Point number six. We have a new citizenship. It's like you've been given a new passport. Give me your old one. I'm going to give you a new one. This is a golden passport. This is the one that gets you into heaven. This is the one that frees you up from all of the bondage here on earth. You don't have to serve anyone else. You don't have to answer to anyone else but God. He's the one who's now in control. He says, I'm going to let you live here on earth for a while, and you, can, and you can bring glory to me, and you can share the truth with me, and I will work in you, and I'm going to prepare you for eternity while you're here on earth. But we have a new citizenship. It says in Galatians 2.20, uh, sorry, it says in Philippians 3.20, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, every ship and every aircraft, when you fly on them, they have what they call a manifest. And a manifest is that document where they enter all the names of all the passengers and all the crew, and it also includes all the, the cargo that's being, so they know exactly who's going to be in, in aboard the ship. And, and I remember 
the airplane attendants coming through with this manifest, checking, you know, rows here, rows there, and, and there's an empty seat, and they've got someone supposed to be in there, and they have to check. Why is that seat? That seat's not supposed to be empty. And they look across the aisle and go, oh, are you supposed to be in this seat? <laughs> You're not supposed to be by the window. Uh, and they make sure everyone is in place. Well, there's a book of life in heaven, and it's heaven's manifest. It's the manifest that says who's supposed to be in heaven. The moment you give your life to Jesus, the moment you, you surrender to his lordship in your life, your name is printed in heaven's manifest, the Lamb's book of life. Seven, what makes us different, what sets us apart, what makes us uncommon is that we have instant access to our creator. He's never far away. He is instantly responding to everyone who calls Psalm 50, verse 15, says, call on me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you will glorify me. So not only do we have direct access, whenever you need God, you don't have to put in a request. Can I meet with you, like on Thursday at 3? Or you don't have to make an appointment with God. You just walk into his presence. Not only do you have access to, to him immediately, but he's, he's actually got his spirit already in you. He knows what you're going to ask. He knows the trouble that you're going through. He knows the challenges you're facing before you even ask because he's in us, with us, around us, working through us all the time. The last thing I have, point eight, is we are uncommon because we have a worldwide family. We are no longer isolated. I, I've met some orphans that never knew their, their parents that just don't have, rel- they don't have cousins. I have aunts and uncles. I have brothers and sisters. It's them. When they become a Christian, they all of a sudden have a family. We are part of a bigger family, worldwide family. John 13, 35 says, By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. That's what ties us together, is in love for one another. Jesus in us, drawing us together. Lots of people don't understand this if they're not a Christian. They don't understand that you can walk into a room, a crowded room, and you can almost immediately begin to tell who the Christians are and who are not born again. There's an identification you have, a spiritual connection you have with people because the same spirit in you is in those other people. And you have a, a connection. I remember going on a university band trip when I was in college. I was a trumpeter and uh, played with the university wind ensemble. We went to about 15, 20 towns doing concerts in the gymnasiums for these schools. And we, were, we wore tuxedos and bow ties and gave autographs after the concerts to the young players that were impressed. But in the evening, we went to the hotels. And that's when the mayhem started. That's when the drugs came out. That's when the, the booze came out. And that's when I remember um, going to bed early because I wasn't too interested in that kind of activity. And knock, knock, knock. And uh, my roommate brought in a girl to our room and going, you know, I actually brought one for me and one for him. <laughs> and I thought, uh, no, like this is not who I am. This is not what I'm about. And the next day I, I, I asked to be transferred to different rooms with fellow believers, those that weren't going to be participating in destructive activities. Uh, I was glad I was a part. And they weren't even Mennonite or Baptist or Alliance, they were a different denomination, but you know what? Jesus is in their heart too. We're, we're part of a big family of God when, when we give our lives to Christ. That's not common. 
You go to a lot of different countries and, and you feel the opposition uh, to Westerners or to Christianity and then you connect with certain people and it's like you're at home in them. I worship with fellow believers in Doha, Qatar. I watched baptisms by the river in India, I sung praises with believers in Switzerland, prayed with people in Argentina, preached in Japan, stood with believers in banana groves in Myanmar, Bible studies with Christians in Israel and uh, in Tajikistan, I've eaten meals with believers in Senegal and Burundi and South Africa and Zambia and on it goes. There's, you know you're with family, with brothers and sisters because of Christ in us. That's uncommon. The question is, do you believe you are uncommon? Or do you just think you're an ordinary person, never really did much, never really had much of a resume, just boring old me, lies. That's not who you are. You are who Jesus says you are. You have to look to Jesus to find out your identity. Your identity is in Jesus Christ. And he says, you are uncommon because you serve an uncommon God. Do you believe that you are forgiven? Or do you still live with the weight of guilt? It's not even yours anymore. Do you believe you've been adopted by a heavenly father who loves you and cares for you and empowers you and blesses you as you obey him and follow him? Do you believe that Christ is dwelling in you, that you have instant access to a loving Heavenly Father, that you were dead, and now you get to be alive with Christ evermore? So a family in Maryland, in America, called the Spites family, uh, they've been trying to learn about their heritage. They knew that they came or descendants from African slaves, and they were doing the DNA stuff, and they, they sent it through a secondary screening for um, African Americans. And when they got the results back, they were amazed. 66-year-old pastor, Jay Spites, found out, to his surprise, that he was a descendant of the ninth king of Alada, who ruled in the small West African country of Benin in the 1700s. So he's going, well, I just think I'll go claim my throne. <laughs> he actually contacted the Benin government and after a few conversations, they gave him the phone number, the direct line to the king of Benin. He called the king of Benin and began to explain, and he got hung up on. Okay, <laughs> let's try this again. Apparently, the king doesn't speak English. And so he tried again, and the king gave his wife the phone, and they talked. And the king realized this was legitimate. He was a descendant of a king of Benin. They invited him to his homeland. He got on a plane, and he flew. When he arrived, they had plans. They had banners up. They had a parade planned. They had a, a festival to welcome back the long-lost prince. And so they, they had the parade. They, they go through the, 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 the cities and, uh, and dancing and music. And, and he was actually enthroned by the king who gave him crowns and white lace robes to signal his work as a holy man. And because this new prince had no experience in princing, they actually gave him a class on how to be a prince, you know, so a little bit of training. You imagine, one email changed his life forever. He was always a prince. He was born a prince. He just didn't know it. All of his life, 66 years old, he didn't know he was royalty. And I think a lot of Christians live like that too. They don't realize that you're royalty, that you are an uncommon people, that you have power of God in you, that you can do amazing things as you let God's power work through you and as you obey him and follow him and join him in his activity. 
The humble pastor was literally a prince of a man. You know, we don't have to worry about the future. We're uncommon. We don't have to be afraid because we have a mighty God. We don't have to lower our eyes before powerful people because we are important people. You remember the story of James and John who had performed a miracle, healed a lame man, and they were summoned before the high priest of the land, the highest authorities in Jerusalem. And they had to give an account to these, these big shots. And they, they came, they spoke, and they spoke boldly. You know, most people would be cowering on the ground, begging for mercy, but not, not, James, not Peter and John. When the Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and, and his son Alexander, and all the high priestly family were there, they stood with their heads held high because they were uncommon. They had the power of Jesus in them. They were representing the King of kings and the Lord of lords to these men. And it says in Acts 4, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived they were uneducated, common men. They perceived that they were common, ordinary men. They didn't realize that they were not. But they did notice that they had been with Jesus. And that's the difference, right? That's the difference. When we have been with Jesus, we have his power and direction. We have his authority. We have his uh, indwelling presence in us. It makes us uncommon. We don't have to let insecurities and past failures and life mistakes shape our identity because Christ is in us, shaping our identity from the inside out. He, we are who he says we are. We are his. So 1 Peter 2, 9, back to that verse, we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, people for his own possessions, and here's where our part comes in. It says, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He says, as sojourners and exiles, I'll just say refugees in this world, let's live a life that honors God so that when people on the outside look at us, there's no accusation that will stick to us. There's nothing that they can point to for moral failures and unethical practices, that we honor the King of Kings in how we work. We work as unto the Lord. So we have a job to do, proclaiming the excellencies who called us, and keeping our conduct honorable without reproach, we are uncommon. Would you bow your heads for just a minute? Father God, would you help us to never forget who we are? When we were born again, we came alive for the first time spiritually. When we were born again, our names were written in the Lamb's Book of Life. We have a destination. It's a promised land waiting for us. We are passing through this world. We want to make the biggest impact we can on the way through. We're sojourners. We're foreigners. We're travelers. We don't want to be too comfortable here because we know you've got far better things in store for us, for those who believe in you, who trust in you, who put their faith in you. Father God, let us continually submit humbly to your presence as our Lord and Master, our Savior. And may we, in our lives, demonstrate our love for you and for one another and for those around us. Father God, I want this church to see roses upon roses at the front of this auditorium representing lives that were transformed during the week. I want to see that hot water in the baptism just uh, always there because we're going to be using it regularly throughout the months. Father God, may we see lives transformed because we believe who you say we are in you. Father God, may our worship rise up 
as your people glorifying you, proclaiming your greatness even today, even this afternoon. May our lives demonstrate uh, who we belong to every day. It's my prayer in Christ's name. Amen.